Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the North American Soccer Show. We're back. We're back. It's been two or three weeks, I think, before since we've had the chance to really get in touch with you guys and bring you some good North American content. That's not really uh, the way that we prefer it, but at the end of the day, we're back, and we've got a really killer episode for you this time around. Um, I'm, as usual, I'm your host, Dylan Baker. Joining me today for a deep dive into one of the newest MLS sides is Alex Windley. Alex is a, is a new member to World Football Index, and she's she's penned up a couple of excellent articles on Inter Miami, and especially because of the the, the uniqueness of the uniqueness of the club story, as well as the the kind of the uniqueness of her story involved with the club. We wanted to we wanted to get the chance to bring her on uh, and really kind of take a look at the history of Inter Miami, how they've how they've done since they've come about, her, and the kind of the story of her of her supportership of them. So, uh, Alex, it's it's awesome to have you on. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Um, I'm ready to get started. Uh, this club is absolutely just as crazy as the color scheme and i'm i'm ready to tell its story really that sounds like a plan to me awesome so chris smith may be joining us here in just a little bit we're not entirely sure so if we get uh, if we get graced with his presence we'll be excited about it if not alex i'm going to go ahead and get you get you started on this so the the first thing <laughs> that i want to kind of touch on is kind of your journey as an Inter Miami fan and you know you're from Miami it seems the obvious choice whenever it comes to uh who you're going to support but yeah. considering that this is their inaugural season and you know they've only had the chance to play a, a few games up until this stage were there other MLS clubs uh that you supported before um you know I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if it's kind of an odd story considering how how long we've kind of been dancing around Inter being a a club that actually plays football based on you know the the gap in time from when it was announced to whenever it actually started playing but you know you it's very clear based on uh, what I know about you and your writing that you've been around you've been around the game for a while so were were there others before Inter Miami are there any sort of you know uh, lingering feelings towards other clubs uh, despite Inter Miami being on the pitch for the first time this year? That's a really good question, actually. Um, so I started watching MLS back in 2013. I was really heavy into, well, first of all, I was a casual watcher. I didn't particularly have a, a certain team. I I watched around the league. I watched a lot of Portland and Sporting Kansas City. I, I really liked how they played at the time. So I would go back and forth uh, between the two of them because I really like Peter Vermees as a coach. And I think what he's done with Kansas City is absolutely brilliant. So, so far, uh, I, I never really supported any other MLS club. Definitely not Orlando. Um, <laughs> of course not. That <laughs> so yeah, I, I mainly was a casual watcher of Portland and sporting, and um, I've always waited for Miami's day in the sun, so to speak, uh, when we got another chance to get an MLS club. So I, I, I yeah, I never, never supported anybody else. It was, yeah, it was a fun, it was fun being a casual watcher, but I'm happy that we have our our hometown club now. <laughs> So that means, you know, based on what I'm hearing, a, a lot of the when they announced that, what was it, 2015, maybe 2016, when they officially announced that Inter Miami had 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 was a club, and now it was just you know working out all the finer details. Is that when is that when you decided to to really say, oh, you're you're bringing a you're bringing a team to Miami now. This is where I'm going to get hardcore about the MLS. Absolutely. When uh, Beckham came down here, and I the early 2014, I believe. 
when he exercised his option to an MLS club, he came down here with a lot of fanfare. You know, Miami, we love our stars. So he got the red carpet treatment. Our mayor, Carlos Jimenez, was there. Uh, it was a big ordeal. Uh, shout out to Southern Legion, the Siege, Vice City. All of those guys were, were there as well. Um, we were just excited, you know. It was a long time coming since the fusion folded um, back in the early 2000s. And the city needed a professional MLS team, you know. Uh, we're, a, we're a very Caribbean, Latin-heavy city. Uh, people in those areas, they love football. They love soccer. So naturally, Miami... Not having an MLS team was a bit weird, but, you know, when Beckham came down here and uh, exercised that option, it was it was a new chapter in Miami soccer history, really. Um, we were very excited, but at the same time, we had no clue that it would take as long as it did. I think I can speak to, to any Miami supporter, and they'll say the same thing. It was an absurdly long wait, but I'm happy that... Beckham chose Miami as his city. Definitely. Well, and I do want to I do want to touch on kind of the the process through which Inter Miami went from being announced to to actually getting the, making their way onto the pitch because one thing one thing that we've seen in the past is that there's there's been a little bit of a layoff between uh you know a, 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 an idea for an MLS team coming coming around or you hearing about potential investors uh, having conversations with MLS about um, you know, uh, certain teams in certain cities. You know, I, I think the the FC Austin idea came about. I don't know two two and a half, maybe three years ago. And, you know, that's that's a pretty long wait to get to the point where they're going to start playing MLS uh, in their inaugural season next season. Um, so you, you do run into you do run into instances where these MLS clubs do take some time to get their feet off the ground. But five to six years is a long time. Now I know I know that there was there was a big issue with uh, with with stadium rights and zoning and these sorts of things but uh, ultimately I'm not I'm not super familiar with the, the kind of the journey that 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 Beckham had to go on, uh, as well as the the other investors like Marcelo Clara, um, in order to get the in order to get the the act the club actually up and running. So, uh, do talk to me about that about that wait. What's what was it about? What was it? What were the events essentially that took place that 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 made that wait last so long? Yeah, Miami politics is there. It's absolutely. It's crazy, you know. Um, mm. Honestly, the stadium debacle was the big issue. Beckham came down here. He, you know, obviously he's from England. He probably doesn't have any. He probably doesn't deal with the types uh, like Americans. Yes, we love f- football, but at the same time, it's not the top sport in Miami. Yes, it may be alongside baseball, but building a stadium for it, you know, there's taxpayers dollars involved and Beckham had no idea that the amount of red tape and, you know, political tomfoolery for lack of a better word that he would have to go through. Really. He looked at multiple spots. I can count them on my hand (laughs) that we looked at. uh, There was a lot next to Marlins park. Um, There was a lot next to the American airlines arena where the Miami heat play there was uh, several spots in downtown Miami, and he just couldn't get it done. And so throughout that period, he was also looking for another investor. And I believe when Jorge Mas came in and his brother Jose in 2017, that's when the ball really got rolling for this club. It went from dead silence a lot of times throughout that five-year period to, oh, the Mas brothers are here. Let's get this done. Uh, Jorge Mas is a 
super well-known name here, a uh, businessman mm. down here in South Florida. So he knows the political landscape. He was able to get things done extraordinarily quickly. The Moss Brothers came in in 2017, and in early 2018, we had our name. So that's if ah. that's a big indication. Of- so really, there there really was just you know sort of no movement. It was it was announcement, and then you, you know you knew about some things happening kind of in the background, uh, whether it be with the whether it be with the stadium or you know yeah. with potential ideas for names. But really, until 2017, it was just hey, there's gonna be a club here, and that's the mm-hmm. end of the information we have. <laughs> Based. Basically, yeah, it was a crazy time when Beckham announced in 2014. We went through a couple of investors. You know, of course, there were the player rumors. There's always that Radamel Falcal rumor. He's a he's going to come here eventually. So, yeah, when the Moss Bros came in, uh, it got moving really quickly. We got the Miami Freedom Park uh, site, which is basically... Um, this golf course next to our airport, uh, Miami International Airport, that we want to have our future uh, home ground at. Um, but that also has some political uh, dealings with it. So that's like everything with this club. It's been <laughs> a process. But so far, um, right now, we're playing our home games up in Fort Lauderdale, which is about 30 minutes outside of Miami proper. Uh, and the facility is absolutely amazing. I don't know how they build it in like 10 months, but it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I know several people that have been up there several times. It, it looks fantastic. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our ownership that we, they were able to get that done so quickly. But yeah, as for the Miami stadium site, um, it's looking better than it did a couple years ago, but there's still a lot of work to do with uh, Miami Freedom Park. So, gotcha. And and it, it sounds like I mean from from the way that you've described it, I, I I think what what sticks out to me the most is that it it does sound like that there's a there's a real plan in place. And one of the things that you immediately think about whenever whenever you you initially consider this distance and how long it's taken to get things up off the ground is is either that things are so things are so disorganized from the administrative level that it, it, that may start translating into you know what what you see in management and what you see on the pitch or uh, that things are so rigidly organized that um, you know it, it's it's it all had to follow this this very this very systemic process in order to reach the the correct point and from the way that you've described it it kind of sounds like it's been both where there was a there was a lot of disorganization in the beginning and then with the introduction of the Moss brothers that's where that's where the the organization and the structure and the 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 planning you know really started to to take shape and take fold. Do you feel like that uh, at least at the current stage that that organizationally structurally kind of you know from top to bottom that 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 Inter Miami are in a good place both for the short term and the long term? Absolutely, I I think there is no better ownership. That this sounds kind of biased, but the Moss brothers have been absolutely fantastic. I've met Jorge Moss uh, before. He's a nice guy. He wo- he loves winning. He hates losing. So the the lack of success we've been having on the pitch, that's gonna get fixed with swiftness. He, because he he's he he like he loves winning. He hates losing. He he'll do anything to get this club to succeed, and that definitely does trickle down in terms of uh management. Uh, this club, uh, yes, there are some things that they can work on, but absolutely, 
I've had no issues with them. You know, everything with season tickets, uh, the club, club colors, it's been super organized as soon as him and his brother came in. Um, no, no offense to David Beckham, but obviously he's, he's not a Jorge Moss in terms of navigating the Miami political landscape like that. So obviously for David, those first couple of years were going to be difficult for him because he had no local presence really. So he was basically wandering around trying to get things done, not really getting anything done because he didn't have a voice like Jorge and Jose to, to help him out there. So, well, and it, it certainly seemed like, you know, in, in, in looking back to the, the, the way that his, his, the way that his transfer to the MLS took place back in, I think it was 2007, um, where there was a clause inserted into, into his, his transfer papers and into his contract that, uh, you know, one day he would, he would have the option to own his own franchise at a discounted rate. You know, that, that looks like somebody who's, who's very forward thinking in David Beckham, but also maybe, from what we from what we tend to see from from players who have looked to try and get into management or looked to try and get into ownership, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you've ha- you have the forethought to to know that it's both financially viable and something that you'd be interested in doing to own an MLS club, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got you know the the, the clearest pathway forward. So it was it was interesting to see that you know uh, again that he had as much forethought as he had to try and secure that 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 cheaper franchise tag fee, but on the same token. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like it sounds like he from the off really needed that sort of, you know, that sort of whether it be whether it be business or football or both that, that, that sort of mind to come in and say, hey, I really like the idea that you've got here. Let me let me let me put the puzzle together for you. Yeah, David, um, he's he's a winner, obviously, like he you know, he's done everything in his career, really. Um, in terms of Inner Miami, um, like Jorge and Jose, he he doesn't want this club to to fail. When we when we started zero and five, he was out there on Instagram preaching that we have to keep the faith. David has put a lot into this. There were times where, honestly, um, I believe um, he was speaking with someone on. Uh, I remember reading in an article that he did mention that there were times where. You know, the bid did look like it was going to collapse because he couldn't find an investor. He couldn't find a stadium site. So, you know, there were a lot of times where um, um, Miami probably wouldn't have had an MLS team if it wasn't for David Beckham's, uh, you know, I, I, for lack of a better word, hard-headedness when it comes to uh uh, Miami. I know that there were rumors of him possibly going to San Diego or moving this to Las Vegas, but Beckham is, uh, he's stuck, he's stuck with Miami. So, uh, you, you know, he's just, I'm really happy that he did because yeah, this club needed that. We needed someone like him to, to fight for, for it. And I'm, I'm happy that he, he didn't give up and I'm happy that he got the Moss brothers and uh, hopefully his, uh, his determination will trickle down onto the pitch and we can get better results around, uh, this time. 
So you, you you make a you make a really interesting point there as far as the 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 stuff on the pitch and we're about to get into that. The last thing that I want to kind of touch on in terms of this sort of pre pre Inter Miami on the pitch phase of of your of your sort of history with the club and history with the league is that you had you had mentioned in your I think your opening sequence that you you had kind of started casually watching the game in 2013 and it's only when this Inter Miami stuff really kind of really kind of took off. Um, it's only whenever this Inter Miami stuff really started making a lot of progress that you that you you know you had a team now that you could really focus on and and that's when you really got into uh, the the league as a whole and it's it, it's very clear not only from talking to you but uh, from looking at your writing that you know you're you you really know you really know your stuff as far as as far as soccer and what happens on the pitch and and and, and what happens in the background and and you've got an excellent understanding of that but considering the the sort of casual Considering the sort of casual mentality you had about it beforehand, where where do you think you would be with soccer with MLS if if he did move to San Diego uh, and and there was no Inter Miami team? Where do you think you would be? You know, where would Alex be in twenty twenty without Inter Miami being you know in, in existence? That's uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Realistically, um, I do watch the Premier League. I do support Everton. Um, so I probably would have thrown myself into English football a bit more and still would have been casually watching MLS, maybe still supporting or casually supporting sporting Kansas City, Portland, heck, even Atlanta. They're doing really good things up there. Um, so honestly, the thought of Inter Miami not existing gives me a bit of anxiety because there was a really, it was true at a certain point that there was a real possibility of us not existing. But uh, yeah, I probably would have been uh, uh, focused on the Premier League City a bit more with Roma. So yeah, I, I would have been involved in soccer, football, but maybe not as MLS heavy. So I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate that. Yeah, well, I think a better way of looking at it is fortunate that the Inter Miami is around because that means that we get we get Alex Windley on the <laughs> on the podcast. So um, before we move on, um, Chris Smith has sneakily joined us in the background. Uh, you know, Chris, it's been two or three weeks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Uh, happy to be back on. And I believe you've got a question for Alex. So I'll go ahead and kind of defer to you here so that you can ask it. I do first, um, high five sir, for supporting Everton. We can we can suffer through that together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, you mentioned before about how much work Beckham's put into sort of to to keep the club the sort of the thought of the club going the dream alive and then obviously it's it's finally come to fruition where you've got a team and you mentioned there about the thought of not having Miami filling you with anxiety something that was covered quite a lot over in the UK was the fact that Miami already had such like a such a voice for support even though they hadn't even played a game or had a stadium yet or didn't have any players how much do you think Beckham sort of digging his heels in and fighting so hard to get the club sort of off the ground? How much do you think that's fed into into the support so far? And do you think it's galvanised the fans that much more? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know there have been people who have been waiting since the fusion has uh, folded for a club like this. It's been honestly like about 20 years, late to, early 2000s, late 90s when the fusion folded. So. Honestly, Beckham fighting like that made the club supporters even more insane and more 
Well, just crazy, really, because a lot of these guys come from, you know, they support Boca and River. So they're really hard, not really hardcore, but they're they're ultras. They're used to, you know, bombastic supporting and and they're just super focused on inner Miami. At times it has trickled into uh, not really good things. I don't know if you guys heard about, you know, there are some off the field incidents, uh, a couple uh, I think a month ago uh, when Miami played Orlando, there was a scuffle between the supporters group. Someone stole a flag on Orlando's end and it was crazy. But <laughs> Beckham fighting like that, it, it made the, it, yeah, it made them go crazy a little bit because it, it showed the passion that he had for the club and it showed that he was willing to fight. So the supporters are absolutely willing to fight for this club as well through thick and thin through the bad results and the good, through whatever players we have. It's, it's a constant support in the rain. You'll see them. It, it doesn't matter. So Beckham definitely had a lot to do with that. Yeah, God, only, God only knows what it's like when we're allowed a full stadium again as well. It's going to be pandem- It's going to be wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> Well, let's let's do go ahead and move on to to some of the on the pitch stuff. You know, I I want to I want to start with you kind of looking at you, you saw this squad get built prior to the MLS's back tournament, and I think it's needless to say that they had a bit of a slow start. Um, you know, there was a there was a lot of talk right there at the very beginning that this seems like it's a well built team, but it it doesn't have a focal point in attack. And and even once the MLS's back tournament got finished, until you know the 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 DP signing of Gonzalo Higuain, yeah, you weren't seeing you weren't seeing what you really wanted to see out of that Miami team. Not only in terms of uh, you know results, but really on the pitch, they looked they just they looked like an inaugural team, if if that makes sense. So. You know, go go back with me to that MLS's back tournament. Talk to me about um, you know the Inter Miami showing during that tournament, um, and and how that form kind of continued into the the kickoff of the MLS regular season. And you know, before you started seeing these DP signings come in, um, and and starting to see you know here recently some of the some of the results turning around. What did what did that look like on the pitch to you in terms of why why it was it just wasn't quite clicking yet you know obviously this is the this is an awful awful year uh, to try and put a team together what with the the coronavirus pandemic kind of you know putting a, a full stop to to any sort of any sort of ability to to really get a team together and ready full blown for for the regular season but considering those aspects and considering at the end of the day what we did see on the pitch what we were seeing in terms of results um you know how how did that how did that slow start come about what was it you were seeing on the pitch that kind of led to that with the MLS's back tournament I think at that point everyone just wanted to see the team play obviously with COVID-19 we played two games before the season got shut down and as a first year team obviously as a supporter you um you know due to the the virus um it was it was bound to happen but of course there was disappointment in that but with the MLS's back tournament um I think a lot of people were just happy to see the team play as for our expectations um a lot of us yeah like you said we did have a solidly built team but at the same time you're we still a first year team with a first year coach in Diego Alonso who hadn't coached in MLS before he honestly was sort of given the short end of the stick in terms of 
he was hired super late, you know, late December of 2019. So he didn't really have a real chance to build the squad, like compared to a Bob Bradley with LAFC or a Tata Martino with Atlanta. He mm. he was basically, it was square pegs and round holes. So he had a, a lot of, there was a lot of talent. We did get rid of some players to make room, but there was a lot of talent, but he, those probably weren't the types of players that he would normally buy in a in a normal circumstance so with Amos's back tournament we did exactly exactly how we thought we would do with excuse me with the first year squad you know the offense was not clicking Lewis Morgan was well he was there and he had a good showing um I believe our sporting director Paul McDonough he made he asked Lewis, um, hey, don't come back from Orlando without a goal. And what did Lewis do? He didn't score anything. So at that tournament, it was really discombobulated. I think uh, the Diego and the players were still trying to figure out what formations they wanted to play. Teams knew that we all of our offense flowed through Rodolfo Pizarro. So they basically <clears throat> man-marked him to stymie anything we did. So a lot of the times we would go without the ball for 10 minutes 20 minutes and we would just defend 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 we had no attacking outlet at all i uh the our first dp matthias pellegrini he he's uh, he's young but so far i would say he is a bit of a disappointment you know he's a dp should be scoring goals but at that tournament everyone was discombobulated everything was out of sync um it it was a bad look. I think a lot of supporters thought we would do better, but when we saw the team play, we were like, "Oh, okay. We uh, it's expected for us not to go to the knockout rounds because of you know just the circumstances. Everyone was still super new. The team was gelling. Alonso didn't have the players he wanted, etc." So I guess from from that perspective, then they it it. In in your in your opinion, they looked very much like a new team. There wasn't necessarily anything out of out of place or out of sorts, other than the fact that you know it looked like a new team that hadn't had a lot of time together and had what little time that they had interrupted, uh, you know, by the by the pandemic. Which, in in my mind, makes a lot of sense because you know it's. I think you're seeing similar sorts of tones and and notes with Nashville this year as well, where um, you know inaugural teams tend to have a bit of a rough a bit of a rough first time go around and there there are so many reasons why that's the case whether it be you know uh, trying to find trying to find your feet or you know uh, the the team that's been put together straight out of the gates you know is still missing a couple of pieces because of you know o- only they were able to they were only able to accomplish a certain amount of things prior to the season beginning in terms of squad building and sort in terms of tactical now in terms of management these sorts of things so in the way that you see it, and it, you know, the, from the from the fan base's perspective, from a supporter's perspective, there's not really necessarily anything out of the ordinary for you, uh, other than you know, this looks like this looks like a new team battling inaugural season issues, coupled with you know, uh, not having a whole heck of a lot of time to to work under their new coach, which is which is a good thing, I think, in terms of not only looking at you know, inter Miami season for the, for the remainder of, uh, for the remainder of how the season will play out as well as you are starting to see 
some good results from them. You know, they uh, here here a couple of weeks ago they they had a really good performance despite losing against NYCFC, um, where they lost three to two, and then they had a, a three game stretch in, in a two one win against Red Bulls, um, in a in a one nil win over the Houston Dynamo, and then drawing at Atlanta United, which I know you know Chris is super happy to recall that. Um, <laughs> You know, up until they had some issues against Montreal Impact and, and, and Thierry Henry, the, you, you're starting to see what this team looks like when they when they can gel, whenever they can string some performances together, whenever you do have, you know, uh, important players like Lo- Lewis Morgan, um, you know, contributing a lot to, you know, uh, the, the phases of play um, that, that they need to. And, and, and you're starting to see the team look the way that's supposed to. So, you know, now that they've been on this, you know, not necessarily run, but now that you've seen what an Inter-Miami team looks like when it's putting together a string of performances, do you think that this might be the new normal for Inter-Miami for the rest of the MLS regular season? Do you think that, you know, perhaps we might see this, you know, little three-game stretch once or twice more before the season's over, um, and then you know on to next year and, and see what we can improve on. Uh, where do you think Inter are as a team now, especially considering that they've you know that they've brought in some some big name people? Your your Blaze Matuidi's on an incredible tra- an incredible Tam non DP deal, and and of course the the signing of Gonzalo Higuain. Um, you know you see these guys come in and then the performances are starting to kind of turn. So do you, do you think that Inter-Miami are, are on a new level now compared to where they were at the beginning of the MLS regular season? Or, you know, are, are there still some kinks and stuff that need to get worked out before, before really the team starts looking like a, looking like a contender? I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, we've definitely improved since the MLS's back tournament. Obviously, you saw Leandro Gonzalez Perez come in, ex Atlanta, <laughs> ex Atlanta guy. He's been a huge help to our our defense. Um, uh, him and Nico Figal have formed a really good partnership. Uh, <clears throat> yes, we still have been uh, conceding goals, but it, it, our defense looks a lot more complete with Leandro back there, uh, barking orders as well. <clears throat> um, in terms of uh, the results, um, we have been it, it's been turned uh, it's been turned around. Yes, since the tournament, Diego has worked a lot with the guys. Um, since then, we've added some new pieces like Leandro, like Gonzalo, um, like Gonzalo uh, Gonzalo Iguain, excuse me, like Blaze Matuidi. Um, our midfield did get fixed with Blaze. Uh, Gonzalo did solve some attacking issues, but there is still holes in our starting lineup in terms specifically down that left-hand side with maybe Pellegrini starting or uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Breck Shea. Maybe he'll start there, but obviously <laughs> as good as, uh, you know, Breck's in good form, but realistically he did come off that ACL injury uh, a year ago and he, I recall in a, in a post-match conference, he did say that he was not fully 100% yet. So you don't want to be relying on a guy who's still recovering from that a terrible injury like that on your left-hand side. And um, as far as the left-hand side goes, our left-back, Ben Sweat, he has been a little bit inconsistent with his defensive positioning. He has, <clears throat> we have conceded goals because of his mistakes. So um, while we have gotten better results, Realistically, I think um, there's still room to improve, obviously. Like, the Montreal result was a perfect example. Props to Thierry Henry and Montreal. Uh, They have a lot of good players up there, but um, Miami didn't look 
cohesive. Um, Gonzalo, yeah, I think uh, SBI soccer reporter Franco Panizo did uh, later report that Gonzalo Higuain did get sent off after that match. So it, it, it while the Montreal result <clears throat> didn't go, it, it didn't go our way, and everyone was frustrated. Gonzalo got sent off, but there there were some positives to take away from that. As with all of our draws and losses, we played well, but due to you know, a yellow card or a red card or a defensive lapse or a lack of concentration will we'll concede goals and that'll 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 drop us three points that'll and have us lose draw and right now it's uh Jekyll and Hyde with this team. We can play really well and absolutely dominate games but still lose. So it's just a matter of finding that consistency, that final ball that final ball and the final third, finishing our chances in terms of that. And then I think adding more pieces on that left-hand side, maybe upgrading one of our midfield spots, specifically with Victor Ujoa, who is a, a great, def- he's a great presser of the ball, but he's not going to break the lines with his passing or make that run into the final third to be that 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 third guy into the 18 yard box. So yeah, well, there's definitely room to improve, but we have uh, done better since that tournament. And and Chris, from a from a non-supporter's perspective, and you know, considering your your supportership uh, from a divisional and, and potentially even regional rivals perspective as well, you know, what's your assessment of of, of Inter Miami as they've as they've kind of come into their own, or, or or at least are starting to come into their own over the course of the season? Um, you know, are you seeing a lot of the same things that that Alex is seeing as far as uh, squad building, as far as consistency, um, and, and and is there anything else that you've kind of picked out? that that maybe needs to get brought to the table about this club? Well, I think Alex raised a great point before when she mentioned how late Alonso was hired and I know she's done an article for World Football Index on that as well. Um, so you look back across the results and there's not really many games where you could say they've really been absolutely destroyed. They haven't really been battered by anyone. Um, it's, it's been fine margins at times. It's been a, a lack of sort of a lack of a killer instinct up, up front or... So you're not having Gonzalo Higuain at the start of the season to finish off a few of those chances. Um, the the biggest thing I've noticed from the games I've watched them against Atlanta is they seem to be getting really punished just for, as, as Alex mentioned before, individual errors and sort of lapses in concentration. They haven't particularly performed badly. They've been defensively, they've been really sound. It just seems like at, at one point in the game, you were guaranteed to get a moment where they switch off and, the most recent example I saw was the late equaliser from Jake Mulroney for Atlanta, where all game Blaise Matuidi had, had led that press brilliantly from midfield, backing up the forwards. Leandro Gonzalez-Perez was following up behind and keeping a really tight unit where they were pressing, not, not allowing Atlanta to play out and causing a lot of mistakes. The one time where the defence stopped and didn't back up the midfield, Jürgen Dam manages to turn into a bit of space and combine with Kubo Torres, they're in behind, and all of a sudden they're punished. Um, I, I'd throw that to Alex of, of how much do you think these individual errors are currently stopping Miami from, from being further up the table? I personally think they've had a lot more points if they just, just trying to get out focusing for 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely agree. In a couple of post match uh, conferences, particularly with Will Trapp, he has specifically said that mental lapses have cost them points. 
he has said that Diego Alonso has said that. So it's, it's like Chris said, it's, it's an issue that is causing us. We're dropping points because of that. So I'm, I'm from a footballing perspective. I'm not completely sure how the team fixes that. I think it's just, it's just being on all the time. We need that. We need that captain presence. You know, Luis Robles is out uh, uh, of the season for the season with a broken arm. So realistically, he would have been able and in goal to to basically yell at our back line to say, hey, hey, switch on, stay on, you know, be smart about this. But um, I I love Gonzalo. Um, He's brilliant. But, you know, it's it's pretty well known that he does have a bit of a temper and he leads more by example than realistically like he yelling at his teammates. And, you know, sometimes we need that, that Sergio, Sergio Ramos's type of presence in terms of say, Hey, look, don't do this. Stay on, switch on, stay compact, stay tight, you know, and, and of right. So, um, Miami, this is something that Alonso needs to address, needs to fix. Um, we do play Orlando in a couple of hours, so hopefully, maybe we can get a win. Maybe those things were, are fixed. I don't know, but like Chris said, it's yeah, we've definitely dropped points specifically because of mental lapses and just not being situa- situationally aware of the attacker or um, or the position on on the pitch in terms of. Uh, letting in, uh, you know, having spaces, you know, gaps that they leave open where uh, uh, opponents can attack those spaces, get in behind, specifically on this left, on that left hand side, and most of our goals have come from just players being out of position, not being on, you know. Yeah, I think you raise a great point about LGP though, where sort of, it, there's no doubt, and he's a great signing for for Miami. You know, he's. He's an MLS Cup winner. He proved himself during his time at Atlanta. But the one thing he wasn't was uh, an outright defensive leader. Um, during his time down there, he always had someone like Michael Parkhurst next to him, sort of setting the standard, leading the defence, leading by example. Um, I, I just go back to that point, though, about not backing up the press. That's where if, if you've got a good defensive leader, he drags that team out. It doesn't matter whether it's the first minute or the 93rd minute or whatever. Um, a good defensive leader will, will, will drag them out Um as like I say, as much as much as LGP is a great signing, I, I still think they they need a partner with him who's who's not because he's not going to switch off because LGP is known for that as as good as he is. Um, so something else that I think which will make a big difference as well is you've you've brought in Higuain, but shortly half shortly after Higuain comes in, Rodolfo Pizarro goes out on international duty. So I think. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the dynamic that they strike up once they get an actual good run of games together. It'd be interesting to see what happens if if Miami do make the playoffs and, and they can get a good chemistry going. Yeah, I, bro, um, Rodolfo Pizarro, he has been, uh, uh, besides uh, Lewis Morgan, he has been our most consistent player. He's scored uh, at least three or four goals. I have to fact check myself on that, but... When Rodolfo's on the pitch, he's always finding that pocket of space. He's tr- always trying to play the pass, you know, on for our wide players. He's always trying to get on the end of things himself. Um, it it is unfortunate that Rodolfo <laughs> had to go out um on international duty, uh, right 
as Iguain was getting integrated. So, um, and Iguain got sent off right when uh, Pizarro comes back. So, uh, hopefully, the next game after this one, we'll we'll be able to see their connection because I'm I'm curious about that too. I think Rodolfo has been begging for a guy like Iguain to get on the end of his excellent through balls to finish those off um because while we have Julian Carranza, Aguadelo, guys like that who are capable of scoring, they don't do it consistently like Iguain does. So um I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh Pizarro and Iguain's partnership definitely. Well, and the one thing that I'll say and, and potentially pitch back to you guys as well is that that what what's, what's kind of strange to me about the Iguain signing is <sighs> He's not the player. He's not the player he was, and I, I think you do see you, you and you have seen over the course of history. You've seen, you know, you've seen players come over to the MLS who aren't quite what they were, and who aren't quite to the level that that is required or requisite to to play in the Premier League or the Bundesliga or in, in Iguain's case, Serie A. Um, but one of the one of the strange things to me about Iguain was that it it looked like the 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 way that he had sort of deteriorated over time. You know, obviously there's 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 always been a bunch of jokes about his size, but I think one of the one of the things that I saw uh, really after he made his move to Juventus that um, it, he he just wasn't putting the ball in the back of the net, and he was missing chances that that he's he's sort of you know really are kind of clear cut and and not what you would expect from a player of the caliber of Iguain. So it, it's interesting too that you you had talked about the partnership there because he does he he does look a player now that's not really to the standard of playing as a lone striker with whether it be with with wingers or wide midfielders or or, or even with a you know a number ten or a second striker in behind him and I think that's what's going to be interesting about Inter Miami going forward is seeing that partnership develop and and, and seeing for really the first time in, in Iguain's career or, or at the very least in the last five to ten years uh, what he looks like playing with a partner and how he can use his skill set whenever he's on the ball maybe not necessarily always looking to to, to craft the chance for himself uh, considering the deterioration in his finishing you know what, what that's going to look like having a partner next to him it, it, you, you would hope that that would develop in a way that that that's positive not only for himself uh, but also for for inter miami oh uh, for sure for sure obviously you know gonzalo is he's up there in age he's been around a lot he's been he's played for some of the best clubs in the world um yeah um I agree. I agree, actually, that he's not the type of guy who's going to press endlessly. He's not going to run down defenders. He needs to play off of someone. And I think against Montreal, we saw that a little bit where Diego switched into a back three. Uh, Lewis Morgan played as a shadow striker uh, to try to help Gonzalo get on the ball a bit more. Even then, you saw Gonzalo drop into midfield to get touches. So is this, that is definitely something that... um. Alonso will need to fix in the long term. Maybe we'll have to switch formations into a four-four-two, something that where Gonzalo can play off of someone. Um, as regard as <clears throat> as um, in terms of his finishing, yeah, there there were some chances that even for Inter Miami that maybe he should have shot first time instead of looking for a window to get a clean shot at. Maybe he should have uh, put that header on goal. But I think. Um, as he gels with the team, I think um, chances like that will come a bit easier for him as um, he gets to know his teammates. Alonso gets to know his playing style. So in terms of that, I think it's 
Uh, it's a matter of formation and um, Higuain gelling with the team eventually. I think one one thing Higuain's always been is very much a confidence player. I mean, you know, he, he spent his career sort of fighting off a lot of flack from from national team supporters for his missing the World Cup final. Uh, obviously, the, the, we, we saw his amazing season at Napoli, but following that, he's he's had a drop off in form. I think a lot of that was due to the fact he just felt loved at Napoli, and and that that fed into his confidence. But you raise a good point. Alex, where I think once he starts sort of finishing those chances, and he will do, I'm I'm sure that he will. I think once that starts happening, you'll you'll see you'll see a flood of goals once he starts feeling at home in Miami. Once he feels confident, probably a good move bringing bringing his brother along with him as well to to help that transition. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, there's one thing you can always say about him is that he's a he's a confidence player. So I think once he gets that first goal. For like the first two or three goals, I think I think you'll go on a run. I, th- I think you'll see a different player. Absolutely, I like that point about his brother that you brought up. Iguain, um Gonzalo is a very family oriented um, <clears throat> guy, so bringing in Federico was huge. Not only is Federico uh, an amazing player on his own right, he's he he's obviously it's his brother. They're super close. He, um, so having a guy like that in the locker room with MLS experience, you know, being one of the most consistent number 10s in MLS for a long time, Federico, with with Gonzalo in that locker room, especially with the amount of young players we have in that locker room, that'll only trickle down and help the team even more. Even going into next season, really, um, it, it, it'll help the team the team gel, really, and it'll it'll help Diego maybe make his uh, his formation a bit clearer with Gonzalo and his 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 brother coming in, you know, you know, you know, we have a lot of players who can play in that ten spot, but with Federico, we have a proven MLS winner, a guy who can dictate the tempo absolutely. So bringing in Federico definitely was a huge, huge one, and and something that will only help Gonzalo with his confidence as well. Yeah, you bring you you make a really good point with that. I think not only do you bring him in to to help with his brother, but uh, you you make a good point with having a, a young squad as well. Where um, you know rather than putting you know all of the pressure on on a Lewis Morgan or a Rodolfo Pizarro, you know you've got a guy who 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 knows what he's doing in the MLS has has time and time again been a fantastic MLS player over the course of his tenure uh, in the league, and you can kind of put him not only behind Gonzalo in order to in order to to sort of accentuate and and help bring that familiarity to to Gonzalo but also it takes the pressure off some of these other folks where they don't necessarily have to to feel the the weight of responsibility of of pulling a game out of nothing um uh, we, we've got a lot more stuff that's on um, our our agenda here that we you know honestly kind of covered already because you, you've you've given a lot of really good insight on Inter Miami. But the one topic that we've kind of danced around a little bit um, is an assessment of Diego Alonso. Now we know this guy. We know this guy is a winner. We know that he's he's a, a high quality coach, especially um, you know after kind of digging in and looking into his his time in the uh, in in Liga MX. Um, Obviously, he had a four-year stretch with with, but 
obviously he had a four-year stretch with Pachuca that was highly successful uh, and saw trophies get brought to the club. Um, you know, albeit it didn't quite end as 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 solidly as what he wanted. Uh, you know, his time with Monterey. Um, you know, it, it, even in that short year-long period, he saw trophies brought to that club. So, in 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 my assessment of uh, of the man and the manager, he he seems to be a really good fit for for Inter Miami, not only from a not only from a leadership perspective, but but really, you know, based on what you're seeing on the pitch, you know, Chris had mentioned that you know, Inter Miami's really not just been blown out like a lot of inaugural teams can uh, during their tenure uh, in the league. So he seems like he's 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 the right guy to have at the club. Um, so Alex. Talk to me about Diego Alonso, not only from, uh, you know, how how you feel about him and how you think about his performances as a manager, but also talk to me about whether or not he's more of the short term or the the long term fit for for where Inter Miami are and where they want to be. Yeah, so Diego Alonso, like you said, he's a winner. He's won at Pachuca, Monterrey. He's he's won a trophy at every club he's been at, really. So not only he's a winner, he's. You know, he speaks Spanish. I've met him. He's a super nice guy. Super nice guy. Like, amazingly nice guy. There's, I can't, I can't say anything bad about him. But in terms of his, uh, his tactics, I, I don't know if you guys seen me tweeting about it a bit. But yeah, there is some stuff that he does leave to be desired. Yeah. Um, he's, he can be very late with his substitutions. It'll be the 88th minute. You know, we need a goal and he'll he'll keep on a player that is clearly tired because he doesn't want to mess up the chemistry. But realistically, that player needs to to be out because, you know, someone like a Julian Carranza or Robbie Robinson can come in, bring fresh legs. They're super quick. They're they're young. They're able to run down defenses. But Diego, yes, he can be stubborn with his substitutions at times and he he, he won't he won't bring them in as quick as I'd like him to, as we like him to. But like you said, we haven't really been blown out. I think our, our goal difference is only, it's negative 10 compared to some other teams like Cincinnati, where it's like negative 19 at the moment. So we most of our losses have come from a goal or maybe two. I th- uh, our, our cup, well, we've played the Red Bulls and I think they beat us you know, by a handful of goals. Yeah, we'd have been beaten by multiple goals at times, but really, but for most of the time we've lost by a goal because of like mental mistakes, Diego, not bringing in substitutions quick enough, or a big issue right now is he doesn't know what formation to, to settle on. So against Montreal, we started in a four, three, a four, three, three, with uh, Will Trap holding, Matuidi, Yijoa, uh, up top we had Breck, um, Iguain, and of course Lewis Morgan on the right. The back line was same old Ben Sweat, uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires, Nicolas Feigal, and um, on the right-hand side we had rookie Dylan Nillis. But um, 10 minutes in, Thierry Henry had his tactics, Diego had his. Diego changed his 10 minutes in because I think Montreal was just they were just hammering one uh, this the right hand side, so Diego saw that as a problem immediately, and he switched into a back three with uh, Lewis Morgan playing as a shadow striker, playing off of Iguain. Now with that formational switch, um, we've seen it time and time again. Really, against uh, Orlando away, we saw that happen where Ben Sweat went off with a head injury. Um, he switched to a uh, back three at the second half, and the players 
were maybe not used to it, so they weren't positionally aware of where they should be. And again, when players are not aware, gaps in the field happen, and that's where the opponents find and they uh, they manipulate the space in order to score goals. And that's what happened against Montreal, and that's what happened against Orlando. So while Diego is can be really good at times when it comes to um, you know, playing playing wide, playing with space, getting Lewis Morgan on the ball, getting his wingers on the ball. He he, <clears throat> there are some deficiencies with his substitutions, his uh, his formational shifts, and some of his tactics. Specifically, playing unbalanced, which is not a bad thing, but when you play unbalanced, all your players need to be on the same page in terms of space. It's all about space, really, for Inter Miami, but um. When we play unbalanced like that, when our attack goes through Lewis Morgan, there are gaps in the field, and other players needs to be other players need to be switched on in order for the opponent not to take advantage. But you know, it's a tactical thing that Diego needs to address in terms of hey, when we're playing through the right hand side, you guys on the left, you guys in the midfield need to make sure there's no gaps, make sure the defense is on, etc. You know, things like that. Well, we are definitely certainly excited to see the development of Inter Miami over the course of over the course of this season, and and you know it, it, especially like you had mentioned, see where see where Diego Alonso really settles them. Uh, not only uh, not only tactically, but you know it, you're absolutely right. I know you've mentioned it a couple of times in terms of the in terms of the mistakes often leading to to the downfall, and and I guess the best way to put it would be is that. When you figure out the the formation and the in the awareness, then you'll see those mistakes drop off, and then ultimately you're gonna start you're gonna start seeing a lot more solidity. And when you guys when Inter Miami condense and they defend, they defend well. And when they when they attack, you know maybe the creativity is still kind of finding its feet, but you're you're seeing flashes of it. And when you're starting to you know, whenever you get Lewis Morgan and Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro and Federico Higuain all clicking with each other, then you know that's a that's a very potent attack. And when you combine that with with a solid defense, at that stage, all you really need is to cut out those mistakes, to cut out those those positional deficiencies. And and I mean that's you've got a you've got an excellent team. Um, so. I think that's where we're going to stop for today. Um, uh, again, this has been the North American Soccer Show. We apologize for being gone for the past couple of weeks, but we're we're really happy for this to be kind of our our comeuppance and our reemergence, and 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 hopefully we can we can continue getting back to some semblance of consistency for for all of you listeners. So again, I've been your host Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at dln underscore bkr. Uh, Alex, let everybody know where we can find you. Kind of what you're working on this week. Yeah, um, on Twitter you can find me at a at a a w underscore nineteen ninety eight. Uh, Alex Winley, I'll Hopefully for World Football Index, I'll have an article out about our fullback situation. That is something that needs to be addressed. Um, I'll be, I'm always tweeting. Um, In the near future, I will have a personal blog out where I will talk about soccer tactics, about world football. Um, Stay tuned for that. I'm excited about that. And, and I completely forgot about that personal blog. So do do give yourself a a, a quite a quite shameless plug here because I've 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 poked around uh, I've poked around and it's uh, it's really quality content. 
Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, my uh, my work on Muckrack. Uh, it's basically a, a place where I compile my articles. Yada yada. I will have a Substack out um, soon, very soon. I'm still working on some things, getting the kinks ironed out, but that will be out very soon. Like I said, you can find me on Twitter, etc. Uh, reach out to me in my DMs. I'm always happy to talk about Inner Miami soccer. I'm less. Anything tattoos, I like those. So, um, any anything, just send me a DM and uh, I'll be happy to talk to you, you guys, about anything. And Chris, we got to steal a little bit of time from you this Saturday morning, or I suppose afternoon for you. Let everybody know where they can find you, as well as you know, kind of what you've got going on this week as well. Uh, yeah, you can get me on Twitter at CJ Smith ninety one. Uh, same as Alex, just drop me a message and, and chat if you if you want to. And. Um, I've just had an interview come out with Chris Richards at Bayern Munich over the past week, so go on to the WFI website and check that out. Um, got something coming up on, on John Brooks as well very soon, and just praying for Atlanta win tonight, basically. That Chris Richards article is is quality. That's an excellent interview. This has been, once again, your North American Soccer Show, and we will see you soon. Let's stick with soon. I think soon is good. Soon is good.